This is Professor Allen, and welcome to the Quarter Bin. In almost every episode of this podcast, I summarize, criticize, discuss, and review a single issue, eh, occasionally two or three, from my comic book collection, which I more or less selected at random. Any book from my comic book collection could be eligible as long as I paid no more than 25 cents for it. For this 173rd episode of the Quarter Bin Podcast, I'm looking at the books I got at Free Comic Book Day 2021, which was sadly just over 27 months since the last Free Comic Book Day in 2019. We do this episode every year, or whenever we can, because as my listeners are keenly aware, free is in fact less than 25 cents. As a matter of fact, I've made the proclamation that the first Saturday in May, or if it's 2021, the second Saturday in August, is the official national holiday of the Quarter Bin Podcast. But before that, we have some feedback. The irrespective shag was catching up on past Quarterbin episodes and said that he appreciated the way we handled the intro and the content in the police action issue. And then he complimented the guest on that episode. Jack and Eddie, our own podcasting cop on the edge. Brilliant. <laughs> Thank you, shag. Always appreciate the comments. And we heard from Vic in Phoenix, who wrote in on last episode and also a prior one as well. I just finished your coverage of Power Man and Iron Fist 87 with Martin Gray, and I found that to be very enjoyable. I am a longtime fan of that book and appreciated your coverage. However, that's not primarily what I'm writing to you about today. Instead, I want to look back a few weeks to your coverage of the Impact comics line. Like a lot of the folks who've taken time to comment, I read somewhere around the first six to eight issues of most of these titles when they premiered. I dropped The Web early on, as it's a poorly written book, but did last long enough to read the introduction of The Black Hood. The nail in the coffin for me, though, wasn't the quality of the titles. It was shipping overseas, where access to new issues was pretty non-existent. I later did get the chance to read the wrap-up miniseries The Crucible, which I enjoyed immensely. And the entire line was pre-internet, and I was quite a bit younger at the time. I'd never heard of the LJM heroes. And while this was my first introduction to them, I ended up going back and acquainting myself with the Archie versions of the characters as well. After your coverage, however, I took on the even more ambitious task of locating a complete run of books, mostly in dollar bins, and have begun a full rereading minus, once again, the web. Thanks for the show, Professor, and thanks for renewing my interest in the Impact books. In other words, all this money I'm spending is your fault. Hey, hey, hey. Don't hurl such vicious accusations, Vic, okay? I take that personally. I look forward 
to many enjoyable hours reading them and many more enjoyable hours listening to you discuss comics. Vic in Phoenix. Thank you, Vic. Definitely appreciate those comments. On last episode, Chris Lydon reported that listening to me and Mark talk about Power Man and Iron Fist made the yard work I did today go by much, much faster. Thanks, you two. No. Thank you, Chris. And we're just glad you didn't make us rake up the leaves. Billy D's response to the episode was simple. All right, all right, all right. Uh, Social media love for last episode came from Tim Price, the pod crasher from the Outcasters podcast. Sir Iowa's Joe Crawford. Sir Luke Giaconetti of the Upstate. Manuel Carmona of Project New Wave. Cyber Jager. Dr. Ange of the Comic Box Commentary Blog. Laurel Mountainflower, one of the Huntress podcast. Karen. From Between the Pages. James. From Karen. Sir. Sir Martin of Grey, of Too Dangerous for a Girl, an excellent comics review blog, Clinton from Coffee and Comics, Robert Ludwig, the most sane man among us, Andy Leyland of the Overlooked Dark Knight, Herman from Into the Weird, Spy Vinyl, Guano Man, Chris from Professor Frenzy, which is indeed a show, Drew from Comics for Fun and Profit, Dave's Comic Heroes blog, King Dinosaur, Certified Canadian Gord Tolton of the Prairie Justice Podcast. And our listeners of the year, the Sutherlands from the Rad Adventures Network, home of Trekker Talk, Warlord Worlds, and that one that starts with X's. Thank you all. I also wanted to give a shout out to Steve Lee from the Waves of Tech Podcast which just a few weeks ago wrapped up its something like 12 or 13 year run. No, that is not a comic book podcast, but for one brief shining moment, Steve was a comic book podcaster. Because he was a guest back on Quarterbin 62 when we invited three veterans of the armed services to cover stories from Blackhawk 122, which I believe was our first observance of Veterans Day and Remembrance Day here on the network. So good on you, Steve and Dave as well. Enjoy your life as a retired podcaster. Let's take a break here, play some music from the band Marcelino Navarro from their 1986 album Third Heaven on Kerygma Records. YouTube is the only place I have ever been able to reliably find their music. And when we come back, I'll be here to talk about the events of the week leading up to Free Comic Book Day.
Well, I think it's time to move on to the main event, or at least the pregame show to the main event. On prior Free Comic Book Day episodes, which are episodes 51, 73, 98, 118, and 135, I talked about my comic book shopping habits, also revealed the shocking truth that 2015 was my first FCBD ever. To be fair, M partook of the event a couple of times before that when they were at college. But this year, I want to talk not just about the day itself, but some of the events and sales leading up to the day. And all that started about a month before Free Comic Book Day, when M came over and we spent a weekend doing the big, in every four or five year, comic book merge and purge and reorg. And after that, we decided we need to replace some of the comic boxes. A few of these long boxes were in pretty sorry shape, having come with us in the move from Virginia, which was 22 years ago. Now, I really like my LCS, World's Greatest Comics, Westerville, Ohio. And since we're not buying any new comics these days, I did think it would be good to buy our supplies from there to continue to do some business with them. So I headed up there a few days later and bought three replacement boxes and lids. And I saw that the usual dollar boxes had been marked down to 75 cents. I say that I bought three replacement long boxes and lids. Actually, what happened was I tried to buy three replacement long boxes and lids. But as Jeff, the owner, explained, due to supply chain issues, comic stores were struggling to acquire boxes and other supplies from their distributors. So I was limited to only buying one box per visit. I did grab a half dozen or so issues of Spider-Girl from the 75-cent boxes. And I told Jeff that I'd pick up another box on free comic book day if I didn't come into the store sooner. And he pointed over to the discount bins and explained that in the weeks leading up to FCBD, they would be offering progressively larger discounts on the cheap comic books, or we would say progressively lower prices on the books, leading up to the day, the Friday, before the big day. And then they'd move them into the back of the store or to the warehouse so they could use that space, on the, that, that table space, at the front of the store to display the free comic book day offerings. He didn't say what those progressive price cuts would be, but I've been a customer at the store a long time. And I looked at the calendar, I did some math, and I guessed at what would happen. There were three weeks left, and starting at 75 cents, it was pretty clear the next week would be 50, and that was correct. Then I thought they could go one of two ways, either three for a dollar and then land at a quarter in the week leading up to free comic book day, or in my wildest dreams, a quarter and then for that last week, even cheaper. Now the store has done six for a dollar before, and they have on occasion done dime sales. So that was a possibility. 
And that is, in fact, what happened. For the final Monday to Friday, leading into Free Comic Book Day, the discount books were priced to move at 10 cents each. Now, this episode probably won't hit the feed until September, a good three or four weeks after Free Comic Book Day. But you should know that I am recording this segment the Wednesday before, or two days after, M&I hit the dime sale. And yes, we did buy one more replacement long box. And since I consider this dime sale part of the broad free comic book day sale process, I'm going to quickly brag about, sorry, quickly go over the nearly 50 comics that I bought at the dime sale. That's right. One crisp new $5 bill, and I did get a little bit of change. I know. Big spender. Think of this like the hours of TV coverage that they do leading up to the kickoff of the Super Bowl. Like I said, this is the free comic book day pregame segment. So, sort of an unboxing, maybe an unbagging. Obviously, eventually, when I read these books, I will talk about them on comics reading journals, but I wanted to, I'll be honest, show off some of my bargain Super cheap buys. But I need to tell another story first, because it does tie in. Back in the fall of 2019, Drew and I started on campus the Comic Book Club. That was Drew from Comics for Fun and Profit, and down the hall and around the corner from my office. And that group started slow, but it was growing. And then COVID hit in the spring of 2020. And so we missed until the end of the year, and of course we missed all of last year. Now, In the interim, Drew left the university for another position. So the full responsibility of supervising, of, of advising the comic book club has fallen to me. And as I sit here recording this, in two days, on Friday, the day before Free Comic Book Day, that is a new student orientation day on campus. And I'll be tabling there in my comic book club shirt with a clipboard and a sign-up sheet. And I thought it would be fun to have some comics to give away there as well. So I've gone through the basement and I've grabbed a dozen or so the giveaway books but I thought that I could look for some giveaway books at the 10 cent sale as well. One of the things I discovered in the, um, in the two-thirds of a year that we had Comic Book Club, that anime and manga were big parts of students' interest, though they were less my interest and even less Drew's interest. But we are going to try to include... Folks who are fans of those styles of comic book as well in the club. So I figured if I saw any books like that at the 10 cent sale, I could grab them and use those for giveaways as well. So with that, let me go through the big stack of comics and tell you how and why I spent, like I said, almost $5. 
Um, and I do start with those books that I'm going to just toss right in my book bag and take on Friday to comic book club, sign up, get to know the groups on campus orientation day. So I've got starting the free comic book day attack on Titan book from a few years ago. And yes, I know the irony. I see it that I spent 10 cents for a book that a few years ago was free. You don't have to write in and make fun of me for that. Okay. (laughs) So literally a, uh, Attack on Titan free comic book day book. Then I got something called Pirate Corps Special Tiger X Usagi Yojimbo. And I got a couple issues of Racer X. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to read these ones before Friday. And then I also got a copy of Jughead number one, the Chip Zdarsky uh, new take from a few years back. And I thought that would be another another half dozen or so books that I could put on the sign up, talk about comics, and grab a free comic that might interest uh, our students. I spent a lot of time at the dime sale in the independent section. The way they have it is the Marvel and DCs are all together in one area, taking up six or seven long boxes, and they've got, after that, all of the... Uh, other publishers, all of the independents and other publishers in the another set of five or six long boxes. And first off, shout out to Keith and the crew at World's Greatest Comics, because both of those sections are alphabetized. So you find like books together, which is huge, as all of you know, who have gone through jumbled sale bins at stores or at cons, you might find two parts of a four-part miniseries in one box. You find the third one five boxes later, and then five boxes after that, you find the other one. Or you think you did. Was it the issue that you didn't see before, or was it the same? And you have to go back and try to collect. Well, you don't have to do that at World's Greatest. So I got a lot of these together. And for some reason, almost all of this is from that independent area. So I've got, from Topps Comics, I've got two sets of two-part X-Files stories. Uh, It's issues 25 and 26, and 35 and 36. And I read a bunch of these in the past through the hardcover trades, but I honestly don't remember if I got through the entire series. I'm not sure I got into the 30s, even not so sure that I got into the 20s. So so those are possibly rereads. Even if so, that was so long ago, I certainly don't remember those. I'm looking forward to those. I thought Topps actually did a pretty solid job with the X-Files license. Also from the indies, I picked up one. This is actually going in the Quarterbin database, uh, Somerset Holmes number one, because I had picked up two through six, the rest of the series, at quarter bins along the way, but didn't really want to include it in the database until I had the entire series. Now, I'm not saying I'm going to cover it on the quarter bin. I'm saying that now the entire series is in the quarter bin database. 
And I've talked about my appreciation of steampunk. So I have four issues of The Gear Station. It's an image book. And it has a fantasy slash steampunk sort of look. So I will cover that at some point. There was a whole good long run of Dynamite's Green Hornet books. Again, it seemed like a lot of those were in the miniseries mode, and I'm not totally sure that I saw a complete miniseries, so I didn't pick any of those up. But what I did see was a series called Green Hornet Golden Age Remastered, which I do believe are newspaper strips or comic strips from that era. So certainly looking forward to reading some legitimate Golden Age classics. I picked up from Now Comics, a issue of Twilight Zone. I've covered a few of those before. Uh, very enjoyable one-off stories, which is what you want. There was a batch of number ones for a series called Harkins Raiders. And I hadn't heard of it. M pulled them out, was sort of looking for, well, it, it, is it a series? But pulled them all out, and they're actually all signed. They're signed by Daryl Banks. And actually, there's another signature on there. I'm going to have to look and see if I can figure out who that is. So, 10 cents for a signed comic. I can probably flip this to Drew for five bucks. Anyway, earn all my money back. Um, let's see. Again, sticking with the indie theme, I have from Eternity. I've got a decent run of their ex-mutants title. Uh, my friend Paul O'Connor was involved in that series for a while, so I picked up the next one of those that I didn't have. From Innovation, uh, Beauty and the Beast, number one. This is based on the Ron Perlman, Linda Hamilton TV show from that era. An issue of Warrior Nun. Oh, two issues of the Acker and Blacker Flash Gordon series, issues one and two. Hopefully worth a dime each. An issue of Edgar Allan Poe's Snifter of Terror with Edgar Allan Poe punching Hitler. Okay. Two issues of Cerebus to fill in some holes in that collection. I've picked up cheap copies of Cerebus over the years, like 10 cent, 25 cent. And one of the things that I did during this purge and merge and reorg was updated not just the Excel spreadsheets for the sort of official comic book database that I own and that are in boxes and organized and put away, but also using the CLZ app. I keep track of those series that I have bunches of, but I'm not sure which ones I have and which ones I don't have that are not really in the official collection yet. They're just on a stack to be filled in and then to be read. And Cerebus is one of the books that fits into that category. So they had six or eight issues of it there, but I was able to figure out 
the uh, two that they had that I did not have. And then M made fun of me for this title, at least the first time that I picked up a chunk of them for a dime a few years ago. This is from the Eclipse series by Mark Evanier, The DN Agents. I know a lot of people pronounce it the DNA Agents, but there is only one A. It's DNA, G-E-N-T-S. So I say the DN Agents. M thought that was a terrible pun and that the books probably were not worth a dime. I don't know. I haven't read them. But I did pick up six more issues of the new DN Agents, three through eight. So at some point, maybe 2021, maybe 2022, we've got some DN Agenting to read. Then I think to wrap up the independence, I've got issues one through six. This comes from Mad Dog Graphics. It's a character, a title that I've read when Eternity published it a few issues of. But this is Keith Laumer's Retief, again, one through six. And interesting thing about this character, it's a sci-fi character, uh, prose short stories, that these are adaptations from, or at least based on, that prose character. And I've read a couple of the short stories, and they're actually pretty good. What Retief is as a character is a diplomat. He gets dispatched by various governments to settle disputes, to sign treaties, sign trade agreements, to ratchet down tensions between countries or between planets to stop wars, that sort of thing. And it makes for quite dramatic prose reading. However, they are very weird comic books because the conclusion is how do we get these people to not punch, to not fight, to not shoot each other or blow each other up. So they are weird comics to read because they almost always start like a good Chuck Dixon issue. They start with action. But they end with conversation, with agreement, with a signed contract, with a business deal. And often they wrap up with sort of a joke of some kind at the end. At least the the prose short stories did. And you got to admit, that is a very weird premise for a comic book. So I'm kind of fascinated by them. And as you know, I'm a story first person. So I just sort of think of these as illustrated short stories. And they work much better in that in that vein than they do as uh, actual comic books. But looking forward to that, that is a retief, is the, uh, the series and the character. Then on, in the DC and Marvel side, I picked up a couple of Legion issues that just fill in miscellaneous holes that M and I have in our joint uh, Legion collection. And then one that was kind of sad or kind of weird. It's just, you know, how quickly things fall into the dime range. This one after only three short years. This is Cave Carson has an interstellar eye, number one. And actually, the interstellar eye has been on my 
to-read list for quite a while. And I'll obviously flip through this issue and then maybe throw it in the book bag and take to work for a comic book club. But uh, obviously that is on the DC app. But uh, I purchased it almost out of mercy for poor Cave. And the one Marvel book, Hulk, 2099 AD, number 9, or as the cover says, Doom meets Hulk, 2099 AD. Perfect. That one would have been worth 20 cents, maybe even 30. And then the last one, I think I may have read this on the app before, but uh, Guns of the Dragon, number 1, by Tim Truman. It is a weird western type of series enemy ace batlash and biff bradley and there are dinosaurs on the cover and again written by tim truman fine writer and i've met him once pretty nice fella as well so i hope that that whetted your appetite for free comics by hearing me talk about really 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 cheap comic books so we're going to play some more music here and when we come back that will be after actual free comic book day and i'll talk about my adventures the stores i hit the company i kept and the books that i picked up And we're back. Because most stores have limits to the number of free comic book day books each patron can receive, I usually try my best to find someone to accompany me on my free comic book day exploits. Often, it's been M, of course. But this year, I invited my brother-in-law, Phil, who likes comics and has been with me to visit World's Greatest Comics a number of times. But the more I thought about it, the more I figured that he might not be down with simply being used by me to get more comics for myself, that giving his books to me for a week or so, while I read them and made notes for this episode and then gave them back to him a week or two later, that was probably not his idea 
of what Free Comic Book Day was. So I thought I'd need someone else to take. And I do know someone else who might like to spend a few hours with Phil, and maybe even with me. So I invited Mrs. Quarterbin to join me and her brother. And that plan both enabled me to get twice as many free comics and also kept my brother-in-law happy, which kept my wife happy, which kept me out of the doghouse. So win, win. So Valerie and I started the day by picking up my brother-in-law, and I don't think we told him that she was coming, so it started the day with a surprise for him. Not the only surprise, mind you. So the three of us went to World's Greatest Comics first, and like I said earlier, Em and I had been there earlier in the week. And Phil had been there before, but this was Valerie's first time in the store, at least in this new location of the store. So I was able to tell Jeff, the owner, during that week he'd had the entire family in his store. Now on the Comics Reading Journal, I've mentioned the store Crazy Comics, that's crazy with a K and two Zs, because comics. I've mentioned them before a couple of times. This is a black-owned shop not far from World's Greatest, and I do try to visit that store every couple of months. It's a good store, and I enjoy doing business with them. So we hit that one as well. In total, I ended up with 10 freebies, five for me and five via Mrs. Quarterbin's participation, who in case I didn't mention, and any of you who know her, please feel free to tell her this. She's a really, really good sport. Then after World's Greatest and after Crazy, the three of us went out to lunch across the street at Noodles & Company, and that is when the second surprise happened, because I told Em what our schedule would be that morning and early afternoon if they were up uh, and, and interested in joining. So while we were at lunch, Em joined us, which was a surprise to both her mom and her uncle. And then after the four of us ate, the three of us went home, and Em went across the street to Crazy and got a few books for themselves. So all in all, it was a very fun day and a good chance for some family bonding and free comics. So what I'm going to do here is briefly review each of those 10 comics that I snagged in alphabetical order. Archie, past, present, and future fun. And it definitely starts fun with Crisis on Riverdale Earths, which, as you would expect, does give you a quick trip through the history of Archie. We meet Pureheart the Powerful, Jughead from the Time Police, Little Archie, Archie 3000, zombie versions of some of the characters, and then towards the end, dozens and dozens of versions of Betty and Veronica throwing themselves at Archie, which is when we learn... It was all a dream. The second story also hits on Archie history, a story celebrating the 80th anniversary of Archie number one. In this one, Archie meets the different character model versions of himself over the year, different hair, different clothes, and all that, from 1941 all the way up to 2021. 
another fun story, and then we close with a four-page preview leading into the next issue of the ongoing Everything's Archie title. This one was fun. Like I said, I appreciate the company really living into their history. This is the greatest asset that they have, public consciousness, public awareness. And I'm glad that they aren't embarrassed or ashamed of their history. They understand where they fit into the American cultural landscape. Now, I don't know Archie's exact business model by any stretch, but it seems that Archie is the classic case of using the comics as a loss leader. Because they've gotten a lot of publicity the last decade or so. We may be going back to Kevin Keller. Whether it's the reboot from a few years ago with Mark Wade and Chip Zdarsky and other high-profile creators or the horror line of books, all of that stuff got them a lot of publicity. And on the comics side, much of that is gone or going away. I mean, those, those titles, those books. But what all that spawned has been extremely successful for Archie. And by that I mean Chilling Adventures of Sabrina wrapping up on Netflix after, I think, four seasons. Riverdale closing in, as I record this, on 100 episodes. And even Katie Keene got a few episodes of a show on the air. And all of that has revitalized the Archie brand among a a newer, younger generation. I'm not saying that that has secured another 80 years of life for Archie, but it's maybe secured another 10 or 20. DC Young Adult Graphic Novels. This was a flip book with Amethyst of Gemworld on one side and Batman and Robin and Howard on the other. I'm really glad I flipped the book over at the store because I came very close to grabbing two copies, thinking it was two books. But fortunately, I figured that out. Uh, DC has done a ton of work in this area the last few years, using their characters in new and unique ways in graphic novels aimed at younger audiences, selling primarily through bookstores and to libraries and possibly Scholastic, I don't know. And this issue had previews of these two upcoming books. Of the two, Amethyst was probably the more traditional in terms of the story and the art in how standard comics look. And the story seemed pretty standard. A kid from our world discovering another world and discovering the important role they play in that world. But I preferred Jeffrey Brown's story, Batman and Robin and Howard. A very young-looking, even kid-friendly art style, telling the story of Damian Wayne's first day at a new school. This is the one that intrigued me the most of the two, but I could see both having their audiences. Enter the House of Slaughter. This is a preview for the upcoming Boom title, House of Slaughter, which is an upcoming spinoff from the excellent book, Something is Killing the Children, written by James Tynan IV, with art by Werther Deladera. I'm not sure if that's going to be the creative team on the new ongoing. I'm not sure if both titles will be continuing or if this House of Slaughter book will replace Something is Killing on the publishing schedule. But however that all shakes out, 
I'm excited for this book. I'm excited for this world and expect to keep reading it for as long as it keeps coming out. The first series, the original series, Something is Killing the Children, focuses on one young woman, Erica, renamed Erica Slaughter, and her experiences as a monster hunter. In that, we get hints of the monster hunting infrastructure behind her. But I hope this new series is going to focus on that organization itself, that that infrastructure. The various monster hunting houses, their histories, their origins, and their internecine conflicts and battles. In terms of a free comic book day book, I can't say that this would have been a real winner to someone not familiar with Something is Killing. I'm not in that position to say, so I can't say that. But I do recommend that title, and I am looking forward to this one, too. Investigators, a kid's title that I really enjoyed when I ran into one last time around, probably 2019, free comic book day. This one is a preview of the upcoming Ants in Our Pants graphic novel. Pants is capitalized. It's an acronym for the Anti-Crime Units Process. Pinpoint, Avoid, Neutralize, Thwart, and Stop. P-A-N-T-S. Pants. The anti-crime organization in question is called SUIT, the Special Undercover Investigation Team, with their two top field agents, Mango and Brash. Did I mention that these two are alligators and they're spies? Hence, investigators? You may have guessed that the entire book is full of such puns and other similarly bad jokes and dumb references, but it's bad in the so-bad-they're-good way. This is pitched toward the young boy demographic if you or someone you know enjoys Captain Underpants, these may be the comic books for you. Silly, totally silly, but also incredibly fun. This take on superhero tropes, spy tropes, action-adventure tropes, and it takes them on in a very enjoyable way. At least that's what this 55-year-old boy thought. Which brings us to Lady Mechanica, my comic book girlfriend. I mean, sorry, um, I mean one of my favorite characters in comics. Almost every year there is a Lady Mechanica FCBD book, which is an opportunity for small press books like this one to be on equal footing, literally, to be in the same display, the same table as the big guys and the middle-sized guys, too because this book has been put out sporadically over the years by Benitez Publications, which is basically the self-pub outlet run by Lady M's creator, Joe Benitez. So there have been years when I've skipped the Lady Mechanica Free Comic Book Day book, because it always has the first same half, which is the beginning of her origin story, the first 12 pages or so of Volume 1. But I did pick this one up, because it contained, towards the end, a preview of the upcoming series. And that upcoming series does mark an important change for Lady M. We don't have a specific date yet, none that I've seen at least, but this issue promises 
a new Lady Mechanica miniseries that, quote, starts this winter, unquote. And this free comic book day preview gave us the first four pages of that, the monster of the Ministry of Hell. The synopsis we have is, the authorities discover a ferocious creature in Mechanica City and take it to the Ministry of Health for inspection, plus more of Lady Mechanica's mysterious past is revealed. That sounds good, and the preview is certainly attention-getting, and I'm looking forward, of course, to this new story. But the big news is that the story will be put out by Image Comics. So Lady M has been promoted to the big leagues, or at least to AAA baseball. And as a part of that deal, Image is re-releasing all of the past trade paperbacks. I recommend them all, of course, but specifically I'd mention the first trade, The Mystery of the Mechanical Corpse, and also two later ones, The Clockwork Assassin and La Belle Dame Sans Merci. And then from IDW, Star Wars The High Republic Adventures, with Disney branding, which I think is interesting. Two good stories that lead into upcoming issues of the High Republic ongoing series. But my favorite bit of this issue was the inside front cover, which included a Star Wars timeline. Now, those of us who read the old-school Star Wars novels back before they were legends, and also back before they published so many books that it became impossible to keep up with them, back when it was possible to have a realistic goal of reading all the Star Wars novels, they would often have a timeline on the first few pages, putting all of the movies and the then-extant novels into reading context. So when I saw the timeline inside this comic, lining up the various eras of Star Wars and their movies and their TV shows, that just made me feel at home. Another book from the same world, this one from Viz, the longtime manga publisher, Star Wars, The High Republic, The Edge of Balance. This is a black and white comic with two stories that lead into the Edge of Balance comic and also to the Guardian of the Wills, the manga. Again, complete with Disney branding, but letting different comic publishers do the work. I think that's probably a good thing, especially for this one, as Viz has the longtime connections in the manga world. They understand how to tell stories in that format, and I think it speaks to the strength of the Star Wars mega story to the world that the stories therein can work in so many different formats. Motion pictures, prose novels, audio drama, comic books, TV shows, animation, and even manga. And DC actually got a movie tie-in book out there for free comic book day, Suicide Squad King Shark. It's got all the characters from the James Gunn movie, with a bit of a focus on the breakout character of King Shark. And the last page of this preview shows King Shark battling one-on-one with... No, don't call her Queen Shark. She is Orca, the Whale Woman. 
The longer story, actually, by a few pages, is the second feature, also a Suicide Squad story, albeit a very different one. This is for the upcoming three-issue Black Label version of Suicide Squad, the series Get Joker, by Brian Azzarello, the writer of the excellent series 100 Bullets, with dark and scratchy art by Alex Maleev. The focus seems to be on Red Hood, and according to the copy, he and his team must kill the Joker. Hey, it's Black Label. Maybe that could happen? And another one from DC. Preview for the upcoming young adult graphic novel, Teen Titans, Beast Boy Loves Raven. And about five minutes ago, I called the other DC issue with Amethyst and Damian Wayne. I called that one young adult. And that's probably not correct. That one was probably targeting a younger age group, maybe 8 to 13. So in terms of publishing lingo, this is the one that should be characterized as YA, which is library and bookstore code, the publishing code for teens. And that is the age of these characters as a romantic plot. So this totally is the teen book. And these 20 pages are pretty good dealing with each character separately. And then we see their paths just start to cross. DC has been very active with this OGN push the last few years including a prior Raven book and Beast Boy book by the same creative team of Cami Garcia and Brian Piccolo. Poison Ivy, Mira, Catwoman, Nubia, Starfire, Wonder Woman, Superman, Batgirl, Supergirl, Oracle, Batman. These have all been the subjects of books in this line. And even though I am not in the age or gender demo that most of these books are positioned for, I've been intrigued for a while, and I have to admit that this sneak preview, it may have just worked for me. I am definitely more interested in this line of OGNs than I was before reading this one. And the last one from American Mythology, The World of Zorro. I have picked up free comic book day offerings from American Mythology before. And they certainly have a strange collection of offerings. In addition to Zorro, they publish The Three Stooges, Casper, Underdog, Laurel and Hardy, and a handful of books under the Edgar Rice Burroughs license. And in this, the 100th anniversary year of Zorro, they have a number of Zorro-related titles. What I liked about this comic book in particular was that in addition to a preview story for one upcoming number one, and some uncolored pages for another number one. This FCBD book included an old-time Zorro story, a full 10-pager from their Zorro Legendary Adventures. They didn't say specifically where this story originally appeared, but the concept of that title, Zorro Legendary Adventures, The concept is to reprint in English stories that have previously appeared in other languages and never in English. It's a very intriguing concept, I must admit. Again, American mythology does not have a huge roster of books, but more often than not, I have been impressed when I've run across their comics. The Verdict 
On free comic book day 2021, it was free. It was comics. And this year, for me, it was family. How can you beat that? This was a very productive, very fun, very free. And after 2020 and early 2021, it was a very, very welcome free comic book day 2021. And that wraps up my coverage of Free Comic Book Day 2021, bringing episode 173 of the Quarterbin Podcast to a close. With the change in date from May to August, and concerns about the virus, masks and vaccines and distancing and all of that, I don't know how successful, how big this year's FCBD was, but if you were a part of the crowd this year, or if you got any of these books through mail order or curbside pickup, I'd love to hear some feedback about what you picked up, what you liked and didn't like about this year's offerings. Next time on Quarterbin 174, we'll be looking at Batman Gordon's Law number 1 from DC Comics, cover dated December 1996. If you have any questions or comments about this episode or the podcast or, like I said, your experiences with Free Comic Book Day 2021, feel free to contact me. Until next episode, I'm Professor Allen, and I'll see you in the quarter bin. Quarterbin Podcast is part of the Relatively Geeky family of podcasts. Show notes and links are available at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com, where the podcasts Uncovering the Bronze Age and Shortbox Showcase also make their home. Links to Facebook and Twitter are there as well. Feedback for the show is welcome at relativelygeeky at gmail.com. And if you like what we've got going here, please leave a review and a rating in iTunes. It'll help more people discover the show. Thanks again for listening.